and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. May God's blessings be on the holy word today, and we'll have a quick prayer here because we always can use some. Lord, we thank you for this message that you laid on my heart to preach, Lord. We pray for open minds and open hearts, Lord. Pray that your word can resonate within us and that we can bring full life out of it because all of it is breath from you, Lord. Your breath is life and this word is your divinely inspired word that we can look to for all the answers, Lord. Pray that we can find them today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for all the listeners and all those in person today here. But I've had a lot of feeling towards God's church today. We've had a lot from our pastor back at Sunnyview about God's church and some of the references. We've been looking at Old Testament scriptures about types of Christ, types of the Antichrist, and throughout that we've talked a little about God's church. A lot of this can be seen in the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus. We all know that. Leviticus numbers are probably the two hardest for me to read sometimes because it's all numbers, blueprints, and all that fun stuff, but there is a lot of relevance in that. We enter a day and age where God's church is mocked, unfortunately. We have people who aren't attending properly. We have people that are attending but aren't there presently. Because, you know, we can be present in the body, but we need to be present in the soul as well. Because if the soul isn't in it, then what are we here for? Because, unfortunately, our shells are flesh, and it's just a flesh-filled church. So our souls need to be ready to be here. We need to be prepared to be at church and be here together for one another. But let's keep this on topic. Church is to not be put on the back burner. We shouldn't forget about it. This is God's house, and people can say, oh, it's just a building. It's just a meeting place. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love meeting with every single one of you all. I love seeing your smiles, shaking hands, holding each other in this little warm embrace of a hug. You know, sometimes I'm not the most hugger. Caitlin definitely is. Caitlin's a hugger. She likes the hug part. But I'll still hug you all. I know that's a good way to show our love for one another in Christ. But it's not just a meeting place. Now, God himself dwells in this very place just as the Holy Spirit dwells within you as a living temple that you perform his actions through the Spirit and you are a living sacrifice. We're going to take a little bit of a look in the tabernacle and the construction of that. So you want to go ahead and jump over to Exodus chapter 26. Exodus chapter 26. And throughout this whole entire portion of Scripture... I can highlight a couple pieces of this. Like there's the talk about how many cubits they are. If you don't know cubits, go to the Ark Encounter. It's length of your elbow to the tip of your finger. It could change between people. Thus, there's different sizes. But they based off cubit since there was no measuring system back then. Cubit was standardized. It talks about the individual cubits, the colors of each of the veils. It talks about how many columns and all the different construction pieces, how there's a mercy seat and how that all goes together. But look over at verses 33 and 34. In this chapter, 33 and 34 specifically, I have these underlined for a reason. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Oh, well, let me go back when I've read 34 and not 33. Let me read 33 and 34 together. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the thatches, and thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy and thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Back in the Old Testament, the church was a little divided here. Not divided in spirit, but divided in a place that we could enter and we couldn't enter. In Exodus, we look at Aaron 
or Aaron, and I guess in the Old Testament, the first time we look at this, we look at Aaron, who becomes a high priest. When he becomes a high priest, he has to be prepared to enter this holy of holy places. Imagine, if you will, there's a veil right where this wood starts. What a congregation is, yes, that's a holy place. This is still the temple of God, but there's the holy holy. God himself dwells in this part, and he is so holy, we had to be separated by this veil. We weren't prepared to always enter. We didn't have our perfect sacrifice yet. So we look into the scriptures here, and we're going to discuss this, how there is different types of sacrifices, and we're going to look at the importance of this. We don't follow these practices anymore because we have a better sacrifice, the perfect one, obviously. But we're going to talk about the sprinkling of blood. If you want to look at a couple of these fact-check things here with me, Leviticus 16 is where I get this from. Leviticus 16, if you want to take a look there, I'm going to paraphrase here because, you know, if I get caught on something, I get my mind a little tunnel-visioned. I get stuck on something. Leviticus, I've grown a lot of love for recently. But Leviticus 16. We're going to discuss the sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat. There's different types of sin offerings. So there was a bullock and a ram. The bullock was the sin offering for Aaron at this time. We have the ram, or the bullock was the sin offering for Aaron. We had a ram for a burnt offering. So there's two different offerings here. And, you know, what's the deal? Why are there different offerings? Well, we need to know where this is being allocated to, what this is for. So we have one sacrifice just for the high priest because he has to enter this holy place. He's not worthy. None of us are worthy at this time. So for him to step, he needs to make his sacrifice. We had the blood sacrifices. We had it on the doors in the Old Testament. So he makes a sacrifice. There's also the sweet savor that we give to the Lord, their burnt offering. Just as Noah did, they had burnt offering. The bullock was for the high priest. It would be the sin offering for himself just to be able to walk into the presence of God. Now, something else interesting. I'm going to talk about this here. You know, I used to have a boot on my foot. I broke it because I was stupid doing dance for some reason. I was really interested in art back in high school and college. But let's say I'm the high priest here. The high priest Aaron. As the high priest enters, and I'm not sure if it started with Aaron, but it's recorded through study. There was a rope tied around his ankle, around the high priest's ankle. He also would wear bells. Sounds a little bit silly. You know cats wear bells. That's how you know where they're at. Well, interestingly enough, they put a lot of thought into this. You know, Old Testament people, scripturally they're a lot more sound. We'll just say that. They studied a lot more cats what they had. They didn't have all the distractions we do today. They had bells and a rope on them. The reason why is because, you know, if the bell stops moving, something's wrong. You could die just by entering this perfect presence of God. It was so almighty and perfect, we weren't worthy to go into that area. We hadn't had an atonement, so all these practices had to be conducted before he could even enter there. He had to prepare himself just as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. So there's the bells on his ankle and a rope as well because, you know, nobody else but the high priest could enter there. You can't just have your average Joe walk in. There's an appointed person by God, just like as if you had a pastor. They're going to be there. They're going to pe- preach to the flock. That's their responsibility. They're going to be there. You have a preacher. You know, they break the bread of life to you. Well, you've got Aaron. He's got bells on him. Imagine this. He stops moving. Average Joe can't enter, and I'm stuck on the side of the veil. The rope was to pull out the body. I know it sounds gruesome, but we weren't worthy to go in there. It could literally bring upon death. We didn't practice this right. So we have the idea, and we know that Aaron had to be prepared, and that he had to be prepared to enter past that veil. That veil was that separating party in the tabernacle. But there was also two goats that were brought into this as well. 
another one for a sin offering because we still haven't paid the sin debt for the people. The people needed a sin debt paid, and that would be with a young goat. There would also be another goat. wasn't offered up for sin, but in an image of a New Testament prophecy, not really a prophecy, but a New Testament thing that comes and be fulfilled, we have the scapegoat take our sins as far as the east is from the west. It runs out of town and chases away our sin. It takes it with it. You have a runner that goes with this goat and makes sure that, you know, the goat gets out of the city. There's a certain road they would follow. They'd have stops, and they would make sure that certain lights are taken care of, and it's a way to track how far away the sin got. It sounds silly, but, you know, they didn't have the Savior we had at this point. I mean, he was prophesied, and there's tons of covenants and promises about that, but it hadn't been fulfilled yet. So, with all this being said, God's house was very revered. Only certain people could enter it, and then upon that, you had to be prepared to enter it. It was such a holy place, it could kill you if you weren't prepared. So we have all these offerings. We have the sin being taken out of the city. We have the total of three sacrifices, two sacrifices for the blood on the mercy seat and one for the burnt offering. But our sins are now cast out far as east to the west in the Old Testament. But let's look at what we have in the New Testament that kind of changes us. We all have a bridge, and you know this scripture, you can probably find it faster than I can, but he's the way, the truth, the life. He's the life, the way, the truth, Jesus. So why am I bringing up Old Testament and New Testament? Well, whether you realize it or not, they're both very important. They come together. We don't live under Old Testament law anymore, but you can see the shift with the life of Jesus. If you want to go ahead and go over to Matthew 27, Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51. Matthew chapter 27, 51, it reads, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks went. Why did that happen? Jesus' sacrifice happened. You can read around there. There, Jesus' sacrifice allowed us to enjoy this entire temple. There was no longer a veil that separated us. We now enter in the full presence of God. We get to enjoy it, and you know, God already take care of that. He sent His Son to make that pardon for sin for us, to have our perfect lawyer come in and intercede for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. So now we get to enjoy this whole church, walk around, fellowship, be near the mercy seat if that was still a part of the building here. But that was severed. It wasn't just severed as in I took a pair of scissors, cut up the top, and now you can kind of go through like a tent flap. It was severed completely. I can freely go in and out. You might think I'm crazy walking around. I think it's good to have an image or a picture of it. I might be a little crazy, but it's okay. Crazy for the Lord. But now we can freely go in and enjoy the entire temple. And that's only because the bridge... The one way to heaven, through God, sending His Son, Jesus Christ, paid for our sin debt and made that established. So here we are. We now have this entire church building. We're called here to be here, to enjoy it. You know, a lot of people dread and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. I've worked all week. My ankles hurt. I don't feel like getting in the car because it costs gas money. Trust me, gas money's horrible. I understand it. I've got a couple different gas cards trying to save as many pennies as I can on it. Or you get the excuse, 
There's Wednesday service. I'll be there. Really easy one. Our church doesn't have this right now at Sunnyview. The live stream, that's the real dangerous one. That one makes it so easy. Yes, you can still get the meat of the word and be there, but there's a difference when you're in the house of God. It's like we said, this veil's been torn, and not only can we pass in and out of where that area was, but the Spirit of God fills this entire place. The Spirit of God fills this entire place and gives us a comfort. Yes, God is everywhere, but this is literally His home where we can be closest to Him, and we can enjoy His presence, His fullness. And, you know, there's a difference when you're in the house of the Lord. You know, you're at home. You get all these distractions. You know, I was trying to type this sermon up. Not only, Caitlin was taking 15 different phone calls. I hear her in the room. She gets off the phone, starts putting Netflix on. We like Stranger Things a little bit. We're watching Stranger Things. She's a little bit more scared of it. I'm a little bit of a nerd. I like the show. We're watching some TV, or she'll put on a drama show, and I'm like, I just can't focus. Like, okay, I'll get on something quieter. She gets her TikTok on. I'm like, still no. I still can't type. I'm messing my words up. I've got triple words over. I've got red swilly things on the Google sheet as I'm typing this up. But uh, it's not working. The devil will take everything he can to impede you. And in God's house, this is his house completely. Keep the spirits out the door. Unless we bring them in, they're not going to be here and they're not going to last long, trust me. God's in this house. He dwells within us, so let it resonate. We're here to learn. We're here to fellowship, rely on our brothers and sisters in Christ. I was talking about we have a need. We have a need to be in church, and we can't keep making excuses about why we're not here. It's so easy, so, so easy. I even think I touched on it earlier as well. I lost my microphone. Thank you, Kate. But it's so, so easy to get lost up in it. Once upon a time, I had a job. Of course, I've had a job, but I had a specific job. Keep me out of church on Wednesdays. And unfortunately, yeah, it was for a Christian organization. I wasn't able to be here for midweek services. I wasn't able to go to my own church because we kept driving further and further away from it. And yes, this church was amazing, but I kept dragging myself further and further away. A preacher's right here, and I'm all the way a different part of the state. And I can't even live stream it because I'm on the clock. And that's not me honoring God's church. I can't even be there to listen to my own pastor preach. I can't be there to see my brothers and sisters in Christ in a home that we were invited into. Because yes, we are guests, but we're also part of the family too because we were adopted in and we get to enjoy this house. We need to enjoy every single part of it. We need to use it to give glory to God because each and every single thing in here is sanctified and set apart for the use of God, just as the piano. I don't want to hear some pop songs on it. It's cool, trust me. I like our new radio stations. But don't be using this piano for anything else but the glory of God. Agreed. So we get to enjoy this full house of God. We need to be here. Be present. Be present in mind, soul, and body because it takes all three to be together. You know, my body has to physically be here for my ears to work. I wish I had super hearing. Make my job a lot easier. I wouldn't need a radio. But then I need to be here in mind because I have the attention span of a goldfish. I got to pray for that. So I got to pray that my mind can keep on track. I'm not thinking the sinful things of the world, like I'm not thinking about a brand new car. Sorry, Kate. I always think about that. I know I badger you about it. But I need to keep my mind on track. I'm here for God. What are we learning? What can I get from this? My soul's got to be there. Without the soul, the rest of the two really don't matter. What are you here for? You have a lot of falsely persuaded people that are here. They're here in mind and body, but the soul's what matters. We don't care about your mind. The mind goes away. 
dementia comes in, Alzheimer's comes in, uh, you've got other brain injuries you can have, and that can all go away in an instant. It's terrifying. We've watched it with family members. We've watched it on TV shows with people with amnesia. It can all go away. Body can go away. I mean, from what I've heard, jump school, when you start going to airborne, you're probably going to lose two to three inches if you keep doing jumps. So you lose your height there. You start losing part of your body. It starts squishing down when you land on the ground after a while, and the weight and the ruck. You can lose your body. You can lose it out of the Army, too. You can cut a thumb. Got surgery going on with that. I'll be praying for you. I'll make sure to remember that. You can lose an ear. It can happen that way. You can lose your sight. It all goes away, but the mind, the body goes away, but not the soul. The soul's always there. So be here in soul. Be here. Pray. Pray to get here safely. Pray to get out of here safely. And pray that we can all get here and rejoin again. It's an amazing place. Why are we putting so much preference on anything else? Well, the devil gets in the way. And like I said, we have all these excuses. We've got work. Guess what? You have a need, bring it to God. God will make sure he gets you the right job to keep you here. God will make sure he gives you transportation. Yeah, I've only got one car, and sometimes I get a little scared because, you know, it's not my favorite bow tie brand. But it gets me here. It's reliable. It gets me and my wife safely here. God takes care of that, even if it's not exactly what I want. So now that we can see we can be in the very presence of God, each and every single one of us, it's all through the possible, or it's all possible through the one very ultimate sacrifice. We're going to start splitting this up a little bit more. We're going to look into three main categories of who's in attendance. Because, you know, there's different roles in the church. You know, he gave some apostles, he gave some preachers, he gave some elders, you know. He gave different roles within the church, but let's take a look at this. The first one in attendance is always will be in attendance. Whose house is it? It's God's house. Go ahead and flip over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Now, as y'all give me a second here, I always get stuck between Philemon and James, and I always forget where it's right in between. It's that little smidgen area there. But Hebrews chapter 10, start looking at verse 9. Oh, no, sorry, 19. I missed a number. Hebrews 10, 19. Please forgive me. It's close enough there. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold the profession of our faith without, faith without wavering, for he is faithful and promised. You know, we had all these promises. And, you know, I look back at the Old Testament, too, for this. You know, you got to think, it would have been exciting to have been the high priest. Yeah, it's scary. You could be killed in the veil of God. But, you know, that's something only one person in that tribe would have ever experienced. You know, I don't think really think about how awesome it is to have a house of God. To continue to have that in America is amazing. A lot of countries don't have that. We have missionaries in far-off fields, they're establishing churches in places where they can get killed. Like China, you have that area. You have people in more domestic locations, like third world countries. But, you know, this even from the Old Testament point of view, 
they couldn't have fully experienced the church. They honored it. They took care of it. They cleaned the location. They made sure to offer the pleasant sacrifices needed. But they didn't get to fully enjoy it like how we do. You know, it almost makes you want to live a life in their shoes and see all these excuses we're making when they could have put everything aside just to be here. We now have the ability to enter the holiest of places, and we choose to stick away. You know, I found it interesting. If you read in Genesis, and you look from 11 and 12, I think is what I'm thinking, 11 and 12, you can find some symbology in it. You know, when we're not in the house of God, obviously there's only two portions of life we can live on. We can live with God or against God, right? There's no gray area. People who say, oh, I'm atheist are neutral. Sorry, there's a God. That's not a viewpoint. It's not realistic. Somebody had to make something. I mean, there's even scientific proof that the chicken was first. For a chicken to be there, there had to be a creator. Sorry. Actually, I shouldn't apologize. It is called apologetics, but I'm not sorry. God is there. And I apologize that I haven't preached to you if I haven't yet. But chicken was made first as a creator. Anyways, let's keep on track here. You have the ability to enter in this holiest of places. Put yourself in the shoes of the Old Testament. We're now living under New Testament law. Have some appreciation. God is with us here. And we're better a place to be than our perfect Heavenly Father who takes care of all of our needs, who brings us in perfect unity. Because, you know, there's something interesting with the unity we have between our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's not a, a forced connection. You know, you go to a new workplace. Let's say I go, I get out of the Army. I don't make a career out of it. Um, I think I want to go to the police. You know, you got a wide variety of people. Usually they're all about the same. But, you know, you got your good cop, bad cop. you got that typical scenario. You've got some people that are just there for the money, for the benefits. you got some people who really want to be there. You have all these different people, whether it's a job-wise or let's say you go to an organization. You're at a golf club. You've got your people who own a vineyard. You've got your people who own Chick-fil-A. You've got the rich people. You know, Chick-fil-A people make a lot of money. We realize that after working there. That's an awesome business. Good chicken as well. But um, all kinds of different people, right? All different points of view. And yes, we have all different points of views, but we don't have the same strife that we do with the world because God has the same spirit within us connecting us, binding us together. You know, it sounds weird to say this, but it's like a hive mind. We all come together for a common purpose. And, you know, it literally says in the scriptures, if we're with God, what can stand against us? We're all with God, so what can stand against us together as a local body church? And that's another important subject. Our church, let's talk about the real church. The real church is in these independent missionary Baptist churches that God established. God established the first church way back when. It wasn't on the day of Pentecost. It was with the apostles. Now, the day of Pentecost, you add a whole bunch of people, and that would be the establishment of a huge church body, right? day of Pentecost, there's no Pentecostal church. We can trace our lineage back. Brothers and sisters' churches under the proper authority, giving authority to another mission and continuing the mission we're supposed to have, the commission to preach the gospel in all the world. But our church can be traced all the way back to that. We appreciate it, and we're here together, working for a common purpose. It's maintained its authority as well, and God has upheld that because God is in it. God is in it, and because God's in it, we can all get along a lot better together. I'm not a very agreeable person without God. I'm kind of stubborn and arrogant. I really am. Sometimes that's a good thing because I have confidence in my work, but, you know, pride comes in. And, you know, I can go over here, I can stain the wall, and it probably will look bad, horribly bad. I don't know how to stain wood. 
you can look at me and I'd say it's the best job I've ever done. And it looks like garbage in God's house. So not only did I defile God's house, but I'm also in disagreement with you, and I'm going to cause a problem about it and cause some squabble. But you know what? God humbles us all and brings us all together. So God's in this place. And let's go ahead and point another thing towards this. Because God's in this place. He's also the one sending out the invites. This is his house. Look over at Exodus again. Flip back over to Exodus thirty-three fourteen. Exodus thirty-three fourteen. Sorry, I'm just gonna always apologize to the congregation that has to listen to me. I flip around a lot. I'm scatterbrained. So if you need a copy of this, let me know. I will try to get some copies for you or I'll send you a picture, a text, however works best for you to keep this. Exodus thirty-three fourteen. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto them, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? It is not in thou that goest with us. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing, and also thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. So God's in this house. He knows each of us by name. He's the one sending us invites. There's a couple other scriptures, and we'll see the Sabbath. We're here, called to be here on Sunday. You know, sometimes we get called over. I mean, obviously, I'd be at Sunnyview of you Baptist right now, but I had to fill the pulpit in. Our pastor's over at a conference currently. We pray for that. Make sure he has traveling mercies along with the Hamiltons. But our first priority is to be at church, our church, be there. We do visit, of course, but be in attendance to your church and be present, active in there. God's sending you an invite, and he has you a part of that church for a very good reason, his perfect reason, his perfect will for your life, so follow it. And he has each of the called people. So each of the called people, we have different roles in the church that uphold it. We have cleaners, we have our teachers, we have our grounds people, we have audio that one's a big one. We have a lot of audio people. Unfortunately, it takes a lot from the, the group here, but it takes a lot to keep it up. It's a wonderful mission. But we also have a pastor. There has to be a preacher. There has to be someone there to preach to the flock. Go ahead and jump back over to the New Testament. Big jump. Acts 20, and starting in verse 28. Acts 20 and verse 28. In Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So the one I really like to pay attention to is the preacher and pastor you know, it cannot be a glamorous role sometimes. You have to do counseling. I'm not very good at counseling, so that's why I'm not a pastor yet. I'm not going to ever do that until God sees me fit. That's up to him. But I'm not ready for that at all. I'm not a patient person, but the pastor and the preacher, whoever's pointed over that church, the elders, they're a voice of reason, and they have the will of God to be in that role. God's putting them there. He's appointed them, and they're in attendance as overseers of the church. And they make sure that all the church business is handled. We have our church business meetings. We have 
secretary taking care of treasury and finances. We have our song leaders making sure worship goes well and our pianists, you know, singing a cappella is hard, especially when you're tone deaf. So you've got each of these roles in here. Caitlin's looking at me. She's looking right at me. I think you all get the hint. I'm not sure if it's just the thing about getting up here. I can speak. Not that well. God can. But I can't sing. He's still working on that. Uh, but he has each of those roles taken care of. And specifically, the pastor is the overseer of the church. He makes sure, in this scripture, it says the wolves. He makes sure the wolves stays out. He makes sure, you know, you don't know someone's actual salvation, but you know them by their fruits, of course. You know them. We'll be known by the fruits that we bear. Well, the pastor makes sure that the flock is fed. He makes sure that the flock is taken care of. He's a shepherd, and he takes care of his lambs. And, you know, a lamb, food of choice to wolves, and even to myself, I would like to try lamb eventually. I've heard it's really savory. But a wolf specifically is really going to love lamb. Really easy to prey upon. They're not the most intelligent creatures. I think there's some even over there that Caitlin was gawking at. She thinks they're precious. But they're pretty stupid in all honesty. They'll jump right into a... I'm not sure if y'all seen the video. I think it's a goat or a lamb or a sheep jumps straight into a ditch, pulls it back out by the neck, and jumps straight back in. Not a smart animal. None of us are, and thankfully, preachers and pastors have a little bit more wisdom. Sometimes it's just enough to get them in trouble. They don't be careful with what they're preaching or what they're praying to God about. So you've got to pray for your pastor and your preacher as well. But you have a shepherd that's overlooking you. And God's going to call you back into, but you all rely upon each other, specifically your church leadership, and look to them, especially to your elders in church. They have a lot more life experience than us. They've dealt with this world a lot longer. Yeah, it's changed, but you know what? It's only going to change to get worse. At least they know a little bit more about it. We're not professionals. Trust me, it's easier to listen to your elders. But next portion, we have the flock, the sheep. Sorry, the dumb sheep. We need someone to break the bread of life to us, and sometimes we don't often do that ourselves. So it's up to these men with a call to preach and pastor over churches to feed these flocks and to take care of them. They oversee it, and that role is a very important role because you care for each of the members, and they are each our own family. You all are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's hard for me because it's not, it is a full-time job. Being family is a full-time job, honestly. You have stay-at-home mothers who take care of their kids when they're young oftentimes because that's very time-consuming. Well, a pastor usually would stay a full-time role. It's harder to do these days and age. That's why they try to find careers that counterbalance with the church is having issues, staying afloat with the day and age of people not wanting to join and come to church, the sin in the world. But it is a huge role where they care for each of their members. They make sure and check on them and account for them. You don't want any of your sheep walking away because, you know, you buy all these sheep and you're raising them for wool and five of them got loose. Well, that could be a thousand bucks. I don't know. Economy's inflated. You could have lost a bunch of money there. It could happen with cattle, too. Specifically, our pastor, uh, Brother Trescott, he has a bunch of Angus beef cattle. He was telling me how much the cow cost alone. You start taking that part at a butcher shop, that could be thousands of dollars you lose one cow. So it's just as costly. It's not a financial thing. Of course, you know, you get tithes and offerings. But what we're really looking at, it's important to keep a track of each of these souls. We don't know what each other deals with, but it's up to us to check in on one another. And specifically, our church leadership, we need to be very specific on how you reach out to each of our members. Make sure they're okay. Do a visit. Fellowship together outside of church because, you know, we really need each other. Times are only going to get harder. But we have the flock. Go over to Matthew eighteen twenty as well. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. 
Matthew 18, starting in verse 20. In Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 20, where, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then came Peter and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive them till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. So, math is not my best portion. We'll get into that. But, where two or three are gathered. Of course, you're going to have to have a church mission. You need enough people to be there. Not everybody can be the pastor, because then you're going to be preaching at each other. That's amazing at a convention, of course, but, you know, you have to have somebody listening. You know, we're told to be slow to speak and quicker to hear. That took me a long time. My mouth is reckless. It's a, our words are a two-edged sword. You know, the word of God's a two-edged sword too, but it's usually used in a lot better way than our own words. Because, you know, the word of God can be perverted. A lot of times ours comes out perverted and angry towards one another. So within the flock, we rely upon the unity that God gives us. God gives us unity through the Holy Spirit. So that starts at the top tier here. We got God. And then God gives us a pastor, an overseer of the church, a leader of the church. He makes sure all of his flock is okay. And then you have the flock itself and under perfect unity by God. And sometimes there will be strife. We let the world in. We let our problems get in the way. We let the devil speak to our little ear, get into our mind. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little mouth, what you do. Because how we interact with our flock changes the entire church's dynamic. And we're here for the glory of God, so we need to be careful about how we interact with each other. And we need to make sure that everything that happens in the church is for the glory of God, outside of church even, too. But the church is much more than this physical structure. We can all agree upon this now. Honestly, I would not want this to happen, but this church can burn to the ground, but the church is still here. We rebuild. We rebuild the temple of God and build it with the nicest things possible because God deserves the best things possible. If we could build it with gold and diamond and our finances could afford it, he'd be getting a gold and diamond temple. God deserves it. He deserves a perfect home because up in heaven, it says, I go before you and I, there's many mansions in my father's house, but I go before you to prepare a place for you. He's got mansions, you know. Let's make him a mansion here on earth. Make this the nicest place possible. Keep it clean. Physically take care of the structure, but take care of the people. Don't miss that point. Too often times we see a church with a dictator that's put and put there. And I wouldn't call him a pastor because there's a difference. You'll know when you have a pastor and a dictator. You have these weird rules start coming out and church starts falling apart. And unfortunately, we see that in a lot of the Baptist churches. You know, that's the part about a local church. You have to be able to keep accountable within your church and enact church discipline and keep your standards and assign your covenant to keep that church going. You give honor to God by keeping your church running in a godly manner. A lot of people, honestly, I'm going to preach on this a little bit too. God, a lot of people go away from church just when it's hard. You know, it's a horrible thing to see that happen to somebody. Yes, because, you know, they lose part of their member privileges. They can't really interact in the same way. They can't really take upon the Lord's Supper because they have open sin in their lives. And it's horrible. I hate seeing my brothers and sisters in Christ that way. But it is up to us as a church body to enact church discipline. And we need to make sure we're doing that. And it's not a way of hurting one another or being against one another, but it's a way of loving each other. 
Spare not the rod, spare not thy staff. Thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. You know, that's a really famous one right there. Don't be scared of the discipline. The church is the physical structure. It's the people. And the people within it are just as responsible as the pastor because they also have the Spirit of God within them and they know better. They've been preached better. They take care of the house of God and the people that dwell within it with him. And they know that they are responsible for being here as much as possible, for being here present and ready to go out in their communities too. Because it really, honestly, there's people who say church is a hospital for sinners. It really is. I'm always seeking treatment because I'm a sick, depraved sinner. And only by the grace of God am I saved. Only by the grace of God I am what I am. And every time I can go to the hospital and get my treatment, I'm going to. It helps my heart. works on my soul. It hurts. It stings. Sometimes it hurts my pocketbook. I don't like donate money sometimes with tithes and offerings, but you're called to. It hurts all around, but I need it. I know that need, and I've recognized it through prayer by God. And I recognize that the church, a local church, is what's needed. Look at all the problems of the earth, and, you know, the church has lost a lot of its power. You know, it used to be a law of the land. You know, our Declaration of Independence even said, under God. We say, under God, or Pledge of Allegiance. And, you know, all these patriotic things we used to hold in the past that we're getting away of in school were all based upon God that we're going further away from. Just like Lot pitched his tent to Sodom and Gomorrah, the United States, unfortunately, is getting further away from our King and our God. Yes, we still have our churches, but we're under attack every single day in the political strife that's happening. We have to pray for our politicians so that our church can continue to thrive. Our churches are meant to be a hospital for sinners, to be an outreach to preach the gospel. We're here to bring people in. We're as a lighthouse in the community. We're a lighthouse that shows the light of God that's within us, Matthew five sixteen, to let it reflect so before other men that they may see the glory of God that is dwelling within you, the love of God that is dwelling within you. So the church is where this all happens. It's a home. It's a workplace. It's a place of refuge and safety because God it tells you about a peace that is within God's presence. So come here. Find your rest. Recuperate. Let's go out into the community and preach this gospel we have, this amazingly great news. Preach it to your community. You know, we always look at outreach into other countries. You know, I'd love to go to Haiti and build some churches, build some schools, you know. I'd like to go to a different country, maybe Africa. That sounds amazing, but you know what? I'm sure just in Clarksville, Tennessee alone, probably 90% plus of the population is unsaved. I can't control that, but I can definitely control what I'm saying around there. I control my actions when I speak without, with my coworkers. When I go to TJ Maxx or Marshalls, I can maybe even preach to the cash register person. They may tell me to go away if they're too busy. Usually that's probably how it is. You know how retail is. But it's the way I interact with each of those community members. It starts there at the local level, the local church, because there's only one church, and that's the local, the visible body church, because each body is its own autonomous body. Sorry, convention doesn't work. It's a local body. But it starts at that local church to be a community and lighthouse. It starts with each individual person, because each individual person has to contribute to this church body. Prayer. We have prayer warriors. Financial. If you're financially blessed, please... Bless the church. I know if I had too much money, I wouldn't know what to do with it. I can only buy so much stuff. I'm kind of cheap. I just need a single wide trailer out in the middle of five acres, and I'm happy. I'd have so much money, I'd just give it away, honestly. And I'm not telling you what to do with your finances, but if you're blessed, share that blessing with the church. He's given you gifts to give to the church. 
share your voice, share your instrument knowledge, share, like I know me and Kate, I think this last Sunday we went to this retirement home for the church, and as an outreach, we played trumpet with our pastor, and it's, I don't play trumpet, I'll tell you that right now. I play French horn, I haven't played trumpet since middle school, but God prepared me, made sure I work, I think Caitlin was still better than me as always. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> but she is, don't let her be too humble, I gotta give her a little bit of praise with that. God's blessed her, but as each of those individual members going there, we sung hymns. It took somebody to plan that, our pastor planned it. And we went out into the community and preached the gospel. We were with these old individuals of the community. Some of them were retired doctors. Some of them retired military. Some of them even just your average Joe working at Walmart. You know, it was a nice place, but they got themselves some good family that allowed them to stay in such a nice home. We got to reach out to each of those individuals, and each of those people had a story that the church work together to reach. Each of them had an individual story to be told, an individual life and soul that was worth saving. We had to plant those seeds. That's what the church is there for. Remember, it's a church. It's a physical body. It's also the people in it. God's in it because all three of those things, you've got the people, you've got the staff, you've got God in it giving you rest and taking care of his, taking care of his people, as always. You got the church building to come together. It's a way to outreach the community. And we need to come to church and be prepared to do so. Be prepared to go to your workplace. Be prepared for your community. Be here and be present. Be here for one another. Be ready to take that challenge because it's up to every single one of us to uphold these churches that we see falling apart day by day. So I ask you a question from a church, don't lie to them. Tell them the truth. Truth stings a little bit, but do it with good heart. Be there for one another. Think about when you were a new Christian, how eager you were to go to church, that fire, that zeal to go to church. You're red hot, burning like a hot wood stove in the middle of winter, full of life. Yeah, I mean, technically it's burning dead trees, but it's giving life to the people around it because it gets pretty darn cold up in northern Kentucky. But it's giving life. And that life is what's been given to you, bestowed upon you by God, the Holy Spirit within you. Be ready for that. Have that eager. Have that eager waiting and yearn and want to be in the house of the Lord. Don't wait. Don't delay going to church because you don't know if you have an opportunity tomorrow. In the twinkling of an eye, he'll split the eastern sky and come back. He'll call up his people. That could be tomorrow, be tonight, even in five minutes. I'd hope it's in five minutes because talk about a glorious day. But be eager and don't delay going to church. And be thankful for all that's been undergone to go here. We talked about in Leviticus, and you can look at all the parts in Exodus as well in the Old Testament. Look at the structure of the church. It's, it can seem boring, trust me. I grew up in a construction family, and even it's boring for me sometimes, but I have to pray that it's not because there's an importance in how that was constructed. A lot of it comes up in Revelations a lot of times. I'll just give you a little challenge for that. Revelations hard work through too, but I challenge you with that. Take a look at that. Open your Bible daily so you're prepared to go to church. Your heart's prepared and your soul's prepared, and you got the wisdom that you've been learning throughout the week to share it to your brothers and sisters. Like I said, be thankful. We're not in a country where we're totally oppressed. I mean, we're starting to face those pressures. That's how the world's going to go. 
but pray and give praise. Because, you know, praying isn't always just about a need, but it's about giving praises and thanks to God for this church. Not all of us had a nice church around. I mean, I can't really account for that. As a child, I didn't grow up in a Baptist church. Fortunately, I came here as a college student. Caitlin brought me around. I had been raised in a Southern Baptist up until about six. But then I went to a non-denominational and I was starving. I had gotten salvation, but I was starving for more, like doctrine. And God brought me back home to his church. But i also be thankful for the word that's preached there. Churches are preaching out of perverted translations of the Bible. NIV, ESV. Yeah, sometimes it makes it a little bit easier, but me and Matt were just looking at it. He has a little ESV translation. We know, let's challenge it. Let's see what's different. Because we were talking about how Lot's wife turned to a pillar of salt. And we even have a commentary that takes away the accreditation of God and says, it's nothing a miracle. It is only science. Blasphemy. Everything's glory to God. Everything's an act by God because he allows it. He predestinated it. No fallacy in it. It's all perfect down to the detail. We have to appreciate this King James Bible we each all have. Blood was shed for it. The Catholic Church persecuted the Baptist Church. The Baptists aren't Protestant. We didn't protest anything. Now, we don't like the Catholic Church. I'll be totally honest. I love them. I love the people there, but the Catholic Church stolen so much away from the faith, taken scriptures and preferred them to be how they wished, made in new additions to this scripture, locked away stuff that we can never reach there might be more scripture we don't know about, but God has gave us this perfect book as is. And, you know, maybe that might come with time. Maybe the inspiration of God isn't over. But the Bible we have now is the most perfect translation we have, the 1611. Blood was shed for it, tears. And so much was taken for granted here when we translated it more and more. We lose more of that power of God. So, you know, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in here. And because he can't speak to us directly, he speaks to us through prayer and through the Bible. We don't quench the word. We want the most direct translation. You know, I can't read Hebrew. I'd love to read Hebrew. It's hard. I've done a couple of word studies, studies of which the word dunamis and how much more beautiful this word becomes. It's mean not just power, but it's powerful. I wish I knew Hebrew. But because I can't, I stick to my King James most direct English translation, because that's the most clear way I can talk to God. So we keep his church, the physical structure, we maintain it. We've got the people. Be caring for one another. Be in prayer for one another. Be ready to go out into your community. Make sure you hold God's word dear and true to your heart. And don't ever forget it. Don't ever put it aside. Don't delay in it. We don't know the day or time comes. But today, if it's the day, let it be known. I'm going to go ahead and ask the song leader and pianist to start approaching. We'll have an invitation on them.